this poem about Wonder Woman in <laughs> Proverbs. Well, she describes a character, a woman of godly character, noble character, as the text says. But it's a passage that's been read in a number of ways. It's often been used at women's conventions. At least half of you may have been to women's conventions. And uh, often used there to describe what an ideal woman should be like. Some Jewish husbands recite this poem every Saturday or every Sabbath Eve in praise of their own wives. Some arrangements of the Hebrew can have the book of Proverbs followed by Ruth. And Ruth is described by Boaz as a woman of noble character, the same term that's used here. But others have responded that this may just be another male ploy to make a woman meek, mild, and submissive. I'm not sure they've read <laughs> But it's a tool to make women feel inadequate if they don't measure up to the kind of level that's uh, set here in Proverbs 31. Perhaps a little more nuanced is the view that it's a composite picture. No one woman, no single person could do all that this woman is described as doing. It should be read as a, a kind of a collage. She's not one woman, but many. But these are the kind of initiatives women of noble character do take. Now that makes more sense, I think, but there's still a problem. If the book as a whole is meant to shape young men and to train them for some kind of public role in the court, why would it end with a description of what women should do? So others have suggested that it's actually addressed to men. This is the kind of woman you should look for in a marriage partner. So this passage is not just read at women's conventions, but at weddings. <coughs> but why would you end a book like Proverbs with an aside giving marriage advice? Make sure you pick a good wife. It's a bit of an anti-climax, wouldn't it be? <coughs> so, some of the readings seem to exclude men. Others sideline women. And this last one marginalises single people. You might be starting to think, what kind of fool wrote this poem? <laughs> and why was it put there at the end of the book? Or maybe we need to dig a bit deeper. Wisdom and folly have already been portrayed in this book as women. The two competing voices of chapters 1 to 9, Lady Wisdom and Dame Folly. And in a number of ways, the woman described here matches Lady Wisdom. They've both been described as more precious than rubies. We're told of both of them, whoever finds this woman will have material prosperity and wholeness. At the end of this poem, the fear of the Lord characterises this woman, and that's been so important in chapters 1 to 9 as a whole. So some have come to view her as wisdom personified, or at the very least, an example <coughs> of wisdom without in practice. If so, and I think this view makes more sense, 
then it applies to both men and women, married and single. Men need to be like this Proverbs 31 woman as well. We almost need to write a book in search of the Proverbs 31 man. Well, good news is that it's been written. Here it is, in search of the Proverbs 31 man. I didn't write it. I don't actually commend it. <laughs> the interesting thing is what they've done in search of the Proverbs 31 man They've looked everywhere else except Proverbs 31. <laughs> They've looked right through the scripture. This is how you can become the man that will attract a Proverbs 31 woman. <laughs> well, that was one attempt. But I actually think that we're much better off looking at Proverbs 31. Because I think that both men and women ought to be like this Proverbs 31 woman. In fact, one of my dreams is that I'll be invited to speak at a men's convention on this very passage. <laughs> <coughs> it may not happen, but... <laughs> but I think it speaks to all of us about how to put wisdom into practice. All the things we've seen in the book of Proverbs, we can now see all come together in a form that we can understand and a form that we can imitate to some extent. This is an alphabetic poem. That is, the 22 verses of this poem are begun by the 22 consecutive letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Those of you doing Hebrew, go home and check that out after the uh, chapel service. It's an ancient set of wisdom. And last week we looked at what a person should be like on the inside. Today I want to look at how we should act on the outside. Well, how does this passage hang together? We have uh, it beginning by setting out the value of this woman in verses 10 to 12. Verses 13 to 19 describe her home-based business and domestic activities. Verses 20 to 27 detail her involvement in the community. And then the poem finishes off outlining those who praise her. Well, what do we see about the value of this woman and of wisdom who uh, is exemplified by her. We see that her character far exceeds the value of rubies or jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her. In the very core of his being. And that will lead to gain. What she keeps on doing, that is all the days of her life, the text says, is to pay back his trust with what is good and not harmful. This figure wisdom is worth knowing, is commended here. But we see in verses 13 to 19 her work in the home. Now, don't misunderstand that. That's not just housework. She actually runs a home-based business. If you were writing this poem today, you'd probably think of her as an online entrepreneur, the founder of wisdom.com.il. <laughs> <laughs> As a lived-out example of wisdom, she reminds us that biblical wisdom is not just head knowledge. Remember the language about wisdom is used of metalworkers and craftsmen building the tabernacle, of a farmer knowing where to sow the seed, of a ship's pilot who knows how to guide their vessel into a harbour. It's meant to be practical skill in living. 
In verse 13, she sources wool and flax for her cottage industry and worked hard. In those days, merchant ships were a pretty risky business, an uncertain adventure, but if they came good, they brought great reward. She takes initiatives like that and achieves a good outcome of providing food for all despite the risks of bringing it from far off. She's diligent, rising even earlier than Karen without setting her alarm. She gives food or meat, a valuable food in that uh, culture, to her household in verse 15. She manages the servant women, providing them food, or perhaps, as one translation suggests, allocating them their various tasks. And further examples of her enterprise are given in verse 16, both in planning to acquire property, even without negative gearing, and using her previous earnings, the, the fruit of her hands, to start a new agribusiness, that is, planting a vineyard. She's not simply domesticated and housebound, but entrepreneurial and a risk taker. Verse 17 adds that she gets herself ready to work. One translator translates, she rolls up her sleeves. She works physically hard. Her trading's profitable. She applies herself diligently to the task. A lamp doesn't go out at night. She's hands-on in her weaving, reaching out for the distaff and holding the spindle in her fingers. This is an impressive range of business activities in a social setting where such initiatives would be difficult to attempt. In all she does, she shows wisdom, practical skill of making life uh, a successful faith in decision-making, in risk-taking, Imagine how proactive she'd be in exam prep. Perhaps a model. <laughs> but we also see her involvement in the community, in verses 20 to 27. She actively cares both for her family and for the broader community. The home's just her base of operations. And she reaches out to others around her. She's generous to the marginalised, we see in verse 20, the poor and needy giving them what they need. She has no reason to be afraid of snow for her household. Now, snow might be a bit unusual in Israel. Um, the climate of Israel is normally warm, hot. Um, but you do get snow up in north in Mount Hermon. It can snow. We've had a study tour that had snow in Jerusalem. Um, so that's something to look forward to for those going on the study tour later on in the year. But at such times, she makes bed coverings to keep warm clothes of fine linen and purple. Expensive, presumably warm clothes. It's interesting in verse 22, that's the only verse where she looked after herself. I guess it uh, implies that uh, caring for others doesn't necessarily mean neglecting yourself. There's mention of her husband in verse 23. But he seems to be only included in her story to remind us that he's able to do what he does in the legal affairs in the city only because of all the things that she's already done to enable him to be there. The gates are the place of civic and legal affairs. And his prominence there implies that he's an important and well-respected member of the community. 
We see her many activities would have undoubtedly have contributed to his public standing. We've already seen reference to her making clothes, but now she trades clothes as well. She's actively involved in se selling those uh, linen garments and delivering them to the merchants. She's a person of enterprise, a businesswoman, active in the world. I mean, the church has sometimes been a bit suspicious of business, never known what to do with it. Entrepreneurs are a bit sus. How do we view them? Here then, I think, is a wider perspective. Speaking about God's people involved in all of life, even the risky, compromising world sometimes of business. We look beyond her activities in verses 25 and 27 to her character and priorities. <coughs> Using the metaphor of clothing, we see attention is drawn to her persevering strength, her dignity, her honour, how she conducts her business, how she lives in the community. She's not anxious about the future. She can laugh at the days to come. Doesn't mean she's frivolous or fails to plan ahead. But because she works hard, has a profitable business, and has provided for any future downturn, she's secure in her future as a result of a careful and sustainable pattern of life. In verse 27, she keeps careful watch over the household affairs. You see the value of paying attention to detail. Let the student be, be aware. And she works diligently, despite described colourfully as not eating the bread of idleness. Verse 26 sums it all up, saying her words are words of wisdom, which are kindness or committed love. Her attitude to those around her, as well as her actions, do her proud. So how do others view her in verses 28 to 31? Well, her family know her all too well, and so her husband and her children praise her and call her blessed. Her husband finally speaks in verse 29. He says that women do noble things, the same word to, used to describe her back in verse 10, but she has surpassed them all. And then verse 30 draws attention to her most valuable aspect, and I think why she's here at the end of the book. It's not a hard work, nor her economic success, her charm or beauty, but rather that she fears the Lord. That is, she respects God as well. She's built her life on the right foundation. The important truth of chapter 1 to 9 is repeated again to make sure that it is not forgotten. So in this last verse then, we see that all she's made or done is called on to join in this public praise. Her life is such a clear example of how to live wisely in the created world. So when we read it like this, our Proverbs 31 woman ends the book on a high note, doesn't it? It's meant not only for women to be like this, but for men to be people of character, people of initiative, people of generosity, people who serve others. This is the kind of wisdom for daily life. 
not confined to the religious bits of life, or only to our church activities, but for all of life. Wisdom is meant for all of us, at home, at work, in the community, in the school, in the church, in the hospital, in the office, in the lab, wherever. And the book of Proverbs is meant to shape us as we work, reminding us to start with the right foundation of treating God as God. In whatever job we have, that is the proper foundation of our life. Choosing God's way of wisdom made even clearer in the New Testament as we see the example of Jesus and the need to have ongoing faith and trust in Christ as Lord. And having our character shaped by wisdom's values as we've seen throughout the book. The Proverbs 31 woman or man rejects a self-focused lifestyle and shows herself to be a person of great integrity, generosity, initiative and care. It's not just enough not to do bad things, but here is some encouragement to positively take steps forward to be active in our world and seek to be God's agent of transformation. If we want to know how to live well in God's world, this passage has much to teach us. So there is in this passage both an affirmation and a challenge. An affirmation that what we do in everyday life counts, it matters to God, but also a challenge. Are we living our daily lives like this? And you may want to ask, what parts of this portrait are a special challenge to you today? Are our everyday activities and priorities based on treating God as God? Do in our lives choose wisdom, not folly? Are we willing to have our character shaped? You see, this passage is not just about the good wife, because the good wife points to the good life. This is a picture of life in all its fullness. And the book of Proverbs climaxing in this terrific calm that addresses both women and men is meant to shape us into being people who are useful for God in his world. Let's pray. Lord God, we do pray that you would give us wisdom and boldness to live for you in this world. As we think of the end of the semester and whatever lies ahead of us now, we pray that you would give us the energy to be useful for you in your kingdom purposes in this world. And we ask that for Christ's sake.